want to talk here in our second uh, session about why God created families. Why did God design families? Why isn't the community the basic unit of society? We have the thinking today that it takes a village to raise a child. Uh, why didn't God make the village the basic unit of society? Why was a family necessary? Why is family necessary uh, in the Israelite system, the Hebrew system? You had the nation, you had the tribe, then you had the family clans, uh, but you had families. And why did God feel the need for there to be families? God created families to give a sense of identity and belonging to human beings, and He didn't want us to be alone. His basic statement about humanity in the beginning was it's not good for man to be alone. And so God placed us in families. In uh, Psalm 68 verse 6 it says God sets the solitary in families. And God created the family as a way of working against loneliness and, uh, and isolation. Each of us has been part of an imperfect human family. The challenge we have with families is that no family is perfect. They're because we're imperfect human beings, and human beings make up the family, then the family uh, is also imperfect. But each of us has the opportunity to be part of the family of God and to have the perfect Father, who is God, as our Heavenly Father. And so whatever... Uh, difficulties or challenges we've faced in our earthly families, we have the opportunity to experience healing from that within the family of God and to be part of a heavenly family. Jesus talked about how his about how, how the family, the heavenly family works in John chapter 10. And I know that here he's using the metaphor of a shepherd and sheep, but uh, we also know he's, uh, we are part of God's family. We've been adopted into his family as children. And so I hope that it's not out of context to take some of these uh, verses about uh, the shepherd and the sheep and use them to talk about uh, elements of, uh, that are important in family living. Let's read John 10, verses 27 to uh, 30. When Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. One of the things that uh, we see in these verses is that a family blesses each other by listening to one another. In verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, uh, and listening is an important part of connecting as a family. A family that functions well will listen to one another. One of the greatest obstacles to communication is there are too many people talking and nobody listening. Um, and there is a need in communication for someone to talk, but there's also a need for someone to listen. We had a young couple at our church that uh, about two years ago uh, started dating, and he uh, is a really good guy, and, and but really quiet. He just doesn't... Um, he doesn't have much to say, and this uh, young woman that he's now married, um, she always had something to say, and she was, uh, she was just a big talker, and they started dating, and I told my wife, you know, that's going to work, because uh, she can talk and he'll listen, and, and it does, 
And as time goes on, he talks more and she listens more, I think, and then, you know, people tend to moderate each other too, but there is a need for listening. And for, in families, there's a need for us to listen to each other. Stephen Covey said, many people do not listen with the intent to understand, they listen with the intent to reply. And have you ever caught yourself doing that? You can't wait till somebody stops talking because you want to say something and you're thinking about what you're going to say when they stop talking and you kind of stop listening because you don't want to lose what you want to say. Uh, or, or have you ever been in a conversation with somebody that you stop talking and they start talking about a completely different subject? And there's one man in Silicon that's like that. Every once in a while I meet him for lunch and, and it's, a re- it's a really interesting conversation because he says something and I say something and then... When I'm done talking, he starts talking about a completely different subject, and I realize, you know what, he didn't hear anything I said, uh, because he was thinking about something, his mind's gone way over here by now, and so now we're talking about this, and, and so we talk about a couple dozen subjects in, a, in, a, in an hour lunchtime, because there's a lot of talking going on, but, but not too much listening, and that doesn't work well in a family. There's a need for us to listen to each other and really hear what each other are saying. The book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 13 it says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Uh, there's a time for us to listen and really hear what family members are saying before we respond and before we give an answer. If there's no communication, if we're not talking and listening, then things can go uh, pretty far off course and we need to be willing to listen. We can actually bless each other by listening to each other. I read a story about Chris Conway he was the father of two teenage sons, and his sons had gotten involved in a church youth group that they were quite excited about. And he asked them uh, one day what they're, why they're so excited about their youth group. And they said, well, they really like the leader of the group because they, he really cares about us and uh, he listens to us. And Chris said, well, I listen to you. And his son said, yeah, you listen to us, but you're always doing something else. And then when we're done talking, all you ever say is yes, no, or I'll think about it. And uh, our youth group leader doesn't do that. He listens to us and then he, he talks to us. And so Chris decided, all right, he was going to focus on listening to his sons. And so at dinner, in the evenings when one of his sons would start talking, he would put down his fork and he would look at his son and he would listen to what his son had to say. A couple of things happened. It revolutionized his relationship with his sons. Uh, their dinner time went from 10 minutes to 45 minutes, and he lost 15 pounds. So it, uh, <laughs> it worked uh, in a couple of different ways. But listening is important. And too often in families, we're passing each other, and we're saying things. And uh, uh, how often have you ever in your family, something's happened, and somebody's done something, and, and then you say, well, I, and they say, well, I didn't know. And you say, well, I told you. And you say, well, I don't know what happened there. I didn't hear that. Uh, and not, we're not always listening, but listening to each other, hearing each other's voices is important. Secondly, also in verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. Um, we bless each other in a family by knowing one another. Jesus says that, his sheep, that he knows his sheep. He understands their individual characteristics. As part of God's family, we are well known by our Heavenly Father, Psalm 139 talks about how when we were in our mother's womb, God formed us and he, uh, he knit us together. The imagery there is of a woman knitting a garment. God, before you were born, before your parents knew even that you existed, God was already forming you in, in, in the, into what he, the person that he wanted you to be and that he knew he wanted in the world at the time that you were born. And, and then 
as you grew in your mother's womb, God, uh, God brought you your personality, your natural inclinations. He gifted you in certain ways. And when you were born, you were exactly what God wanted at that moment. And God was so excited when you were born because you were, you were here. Your parents had a lot of questions about who you were. They didn't know yet who you were. They knew you were there, but, but they, were, they discovered you in all new ways when you were actually born and they could hold you and see you and all that. But God knew all that before you were ever born. And so he was, and the, in Psalm 139, it says that uh, before you were born, your days were all written in his book. And so God already knew the whole story of your life before you were, were ever born. And that's how well we're known by our Heavenly Father. Things that we don't even know about ourselves, God knows about us. The scripture tells us that even the hair of our head are numbered. None of us knows that number, but God knows that. That's how intimately God knows you. He knows you better than even you know yourself. In a family, we work toward knowing each other. Just living in the same house doesn't create a family. People can live in the same house and still be almost strangers to each other. It takes effort to learn to, one, to know one another well. A family blesses each other by being interested in the other members of the family. How well do you know the members of your, your family? And for us as fathers, um, how well do you know your children? Do you know what their favorite color is? Who are their best friends? Uh, what's their favorite music group? What, are, what would they like to do on your next family vacation? Uh, and just for us to engage as parents with our children and, and learn to know them and talk to them and find out those things about them. I don't know what you do as uh, fathers to connect with your children and learn to know your children, but there are many ways to do that, and, and children grow up way too fast, and I just encourage you, when your children are small, build the kind of relationship that is going to serve you well when your children become teenagers and peer influence becomes a greater uh, piece of their life and your influence begins to diminish and become a smaller uh, piece of their life, build the kind of relationship where you have a voice into their life and then when that time comes that you're not feeling uh, cut out of, of their lives. And it, it, when, we get in, when children get into the teen years, there is that thing of transitioning into adulthood and establishing a separate identity and being known for who they are as an individual. And, and that is a transition that, that takes place, and it's, it's normal. And, but in that time, we can still have that relationship and that influence that can be there through those, those years. Our foster son, who's now 18, when, uh, you know, he was always my little buddy. We'd just go, we'd, he'd always do stuff with me, and we'd go do stuff, and we'd go hunting and fishing. And, and if I was going somewhere, I'd say, hey, you want to go with me? Yeah, sure, and he'd come along, and we'd, go do, we'd be doing a lot of things together, and, and we just had some great times together. And I was always just, you know, he's just, he's just my, my little guy. I always go with me and, and do stuff. Well, he got to be about 14, and, and one day I was saying to him, hey, Dallas, uh, I think I might go fishing this afternoon. You want to go with me? And he's like, Oh, no, I don't think so. And like, what? You know, what's that about? Of course, like, why don't you want to go fishing? Well, I don't feel like it. And, and then it was kind of like, I'd ask him to do stuff. And like, no, I don't think so. And, and at first I kind of felt like, what's going on here? Like, I, I mean, I, he always does stuff with me. And I read, oh, yeah, I guess he's 14. And so now, you know, dad's not so cool after all. And, and so and he kind of went through that phase. And we do stuff together now. We hunt and fish together and do stuff. But it's, it's back. But there were a couple of years there where, you know, being with dad just wasn't the most exciting thing to do in life. And that time comes. But if we establish 
a solid relationship before that time comes, then there are some connections that carry us through some of those uh, transitions that happen in life. One of the things that I did with our children as they were growing up is I would, uh, I would take turns taking them out for, for breakfast and um, uh, I would um, uh, take one of them each Saturday morning, I'd take one of them out for breakfast and, and so with me being gone some, we had three older children and then we had, the, we had the two foster children that are younger, but we kind of had two, two sets of children. The older ones were pretty much gone by the time we got the foster children. So the three older children, uh, there were three of them, and so about once a month or every five weeks, their turn would come around to go out for breakfast. And, and I just would talk to them about what's going on in their life, what are, what are they excited about, what are, are there things they're concerned about, are there, do they have any challenges in their relationships with school, how are things going for them? Uh, just just a, a wide range of stuff. We just talk about about them and about their life and and that kind of thing. Um, one of our children got to a point, uh, an age where where they didn't really want to go out for breakfast with me and uh, wasn't really what they wanted to do. And so I would tell them, uh, hey, you know, tomorrow is your turn. We're going for breakfast, and they'd say, oh, I got something planned, and it's not going to work. And and I really felt like they were planning stuff after that, but, you know, it was, uh, it was just they weren't going to go. And so finally I got to the point where about three weeks on ahead of time, I'd tell that child, all right, look at the calendar. Like this day right here, this Saturday right here, that's my day. That's your day to go out for breakfast with me. Don't plan anything because if you do, you're going to have to cancel it because you're, you don't have anything planned there, right? No, okay, well, don't plan anything because that's, that's it. We're going. And, uh, and then we got to a point, there was a year or so there where we'd go out for breakfast and I'd talk to that child and, and it was mostly me talking. They didn't really have anything to say. And, but I kept going. It didn't feel very good, but we got through that. And today that child would say that even though they didn't have anything to say during that time, they, they knew that I cared about them and that I wanted to have a connection. Even if at that time they didn't want to, they knew that they were important to me. And it felt somewhere inside it felt good to know that dad was going to do that even if they were rejecting and they were holding me at arm's length they, they still knew that I wanted it even though they didn't feel like they were going to do it right then and it turned around and, and changed in time. Another thing I did with my children uh, was the year that they were 12 or 13 in one of those two years, I did uh, a one-week thing with them, whatever they wanted to do. Uh, I would take a week off of work and I would be with them for a week. Well, uh, my son, my oldest son, Hans, he, uh, what he wanted to do was he wanted to do a bike trip to Winnipeg and back, which is about 250 miles one way. So we started uh, getting ready for this bike trip and we're practicing and getting ourselves ready to go. And our theory was where we lived, there was a circle that was about 11 miles. And so our theory was we'll get to where we can ride that 11 miles in 45 minutes without being too exhausted. And then uh, when we ride... We, were gonna, we needed to go about uh, 80 miles a day. To, we were going to go ride out to Winnipeg in three days and then spend a day there and then three days coming home. So we needed to do about 80 miles a day. So our theory was if we can ride 10 miles in 45 minutes, then we'll rest for 15 minutes and we'll ride another 10 miles. We have to do that eight times and we'll have accomplished our day's uh, trip. So we got to where we could ride that 11 miles in 45 minutes, no problem, and we were, we were good. Uh, so we set out on the trip. Well, uh, the flaw in our strategy was it's one thing to ride a bike 
10 miles and put it in the garage and be done for the day. It's another thing to do that eight times in one day. And so by, we left early in the morning, about 4.30 in the morning, as soon as it was getting light. We stopped at a little town for breakfast at about uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, and I sat in that restaurant, and I looked at that bike, and the last thing I wanted to do was go out and get on that bike because I was already so sore and stiff. I wasn't sure I could pedal anymore, and we still had 50 miles to go. And, and then it started taking us, uh, instead of riding uh, 10 miles in 45 minutes an hour, there were a couple hours there in the middle of the afternoon where we were only covering three or four miles, and, and I wasn't sure if we were going to make it. But we got to where we were camping about eight o'clock that night and we were so exhausted well and but I told my son hey we if we did it one day we can do it again and so we went the next day and the other thing was we were in Ontario it's kind of rolling and so I was telling my son don't worry when we get to the prairies we'll get out in Manitoba it's flat no more hills and then it's just you know it's all going to be level and it's going to be much easier so we're uh so we're looking forward to that second day we get out on the prairies well, the problem was, uh, yeah, it was all flat, but we had a headwind. So then it's like riding uphill all the time, and you never get to coast downhill. And so it was, it was, it was even worse. And then we realized that people, we didn't know what we were doing. And people who ride bike across the country, they start in the west and ride east because of the wind. And so then you have, the, you have a tailwind. Well, we were riding into the wind. And so then my, my deal to my son was, well, don't worry. On the way home, we'll have a tailwind, and we'll be, it'll be much easier but the second night, we got to our campsite. We went into our tent. We called into our tent. I told my son, I am so tired. I don't even know if I can close my own eyelids. Like, you might have to close my eyes for me because <laughs> I thought I was going to die. And, uh, but we got there, and we spent a day out there. We, we were out there. We uh, got there Saturday night, spent Sunday out there. Sunday afternoon, we were sitting at our campsite, and uh, my son said, uh, Dad, like, look at the flag. Uh, which way is the wind blowing? And the wind was straight out of the east. <laughs> and we started out Monday morning. We rode into the wind all the way on the prairies, going back uh, to the Ontario border. The last day, we kind of got a bit of a tailwind. By the time we got home, we were about in the shape we should have been when we started. And then, then the last day was the only one that was really not too bad. Uh, and it was, it, was, it was the most difficult thing that I've ever done physically. But what a, we had a great time together. A number of years later, that was when he was... 12. And uh, so later when he was in his 20s, he was going to university in Manitoba. And one night I took him into the bus uh, in Dryden and he was getting the bus back to Winnipeg to go to university. We were sitting there waiting for the bus and he said, Dad, do you know what I think about sometimes when I'm sitting on the bus uh, going to Winnipeg? I said, I have no clue. And he said, I think about us pedaling out through there. And, <laughs> and, and I just remember some of the things that happened on that, on that trip. And you know, there were memories that were made there that are lifelong memories. And we can get so busy in living life that we don't take the time to create those slices of time with our family members that create memories that are lasting and that are far more important than the things that we could have accomplished otherwise. And I, I did a similar thing. I didn't do any more bike rides, but I did other things with our daughters and, and uh, as, we, uh, as the younger children came up through too. And we did that, that week-long thing. And I just encourage you as dads to look for opportunities to connect with your children. You don't have to do what I, did, what I did, but find ways of building those connections and learning to know uh, your children. Also in verse 27, the third section of the verse, phrase in the verse says, and they follow me. Uh, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. A family blesses each other by recognizing leadership. Um, just as a shepherd provides leadership for the sheep, there's leadership in the family. 
and the leadership in the family is provided by the parents and more specifically by the father. The father has a God-given leadership role and the parents have a God-given leadership role in the home. And as parents and a father submit themselves to God's authority, they can provide leadership for a family. Parents bless their families by providing leadership. Parents don't bless their families by just being, well, whatever you want to do, you just do whatever you want to do and, and I'll make whatever you want to do possible. Parents bless their families by giving direction and by providing leadership for the family, by creating a, a family identity. And children bless their families by following that leadership. And I just encourage you as children, uh, the Bible says that children are to obey the par their parents in the Lord for its right. The Bible also promises that those who obey their parents will enjoy long life. It's a, it's, a, it's a commandment with a blessing. And I just encourage you as young people and as children to uh, bless your family by, by uh, recognizing the leadership and accepting the leadership that your parents are giving to the family. You know, a family doesn't really prosper. The Bible says that a house that's divided against itself is going to fall, cannot stand. And you don't be a blessing to your family by being antagonistic toward the leadership of your parents, no matter how uh, unkind you think it is or how unwise you think it is. You bless your parents, you bless your family, you're a blessing to your family by working together with the leadership in your home, which is your parents, and encouraging them and supporting them and helping them to be Godly parents and do a job that's done well. I know that uh, there comes a time for many of us, so you get into your teen years and you kind of look at your parents and you wonder if there's any genetic connection between you and them and how did you ever wind up, you know, are, are you really their child? And you look at them and you, just, you wonder about some things and they might have a few questions too sometimes. But, uh, but it's true, you are part of that family and God chose that family for you. You see, there are sovereign foundations in your life that you didn't have anything to do with. You didn't choose the century in which you would be born. You didn't choose your ethnicity. You didn't choose your nationality. And you didn't choose your family. But God knew what you needed. And God chose uh, a century for you to be born. He chose an ethnicity for you. He chose your, your uh, nationality. God chose your family. He placed you into a family. God brought you to that family, and if you're not in your biological family, God took you through a series of events to get you into the family where you are. And God directed your life to bring you into the family where you are being raised. And that is something that you didn't choose, but God directed your life in such a way that you are now in the family where you are. And you are being raised in that family, and that's a, that's a gift that God gave to you. And you you bless that family by plugging in and being all that God uh, intends for you to be in that family. And so I just encourage you as children and as young people to work well in the family where you find yourself and where you are, 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 have been uh, placed by God. You know, we grow up in a family and many of us looked at our parents and things that they did and said and we said, well, I'll never do that to my children, I'll make sure that I, I'm not, I don't do that when I'm a parent. And then you grow up and you get married and you have children and it's not too many years until you start to hear a voice that's pretty familiar and you start to hear things that sound pretty much like 
what you heard when you were growing up. And we tend to do the things that we saw modeled for us. And we tend to follow the role models that we have. We, uh, uh, and you have the parents, and you have the children, and some of those things get passed down, and sometimes the dog winds up at the bottom of, the, of that, on the receiving end of that. Um, I remember um, one day, uh, my foster son, he wanted, to, uh, he wanted the dog to do something, and the dog wasn't doing what he wanted the dog to do, and he was getting more and more frustrated with the dog, and I was in another room listening to him, and all of a sudden I heard him say to the dog, all right, that's it, I'm done joking around now, I'm serious, and and uh, oh, oh boy, where did he hear that? <laughs> and he sounded just like somebody I knew really well. And, and, uh, but it happens. And you are learning things. And God has given you role models in your life. And yeah, you can change things. You don't have to, be, you don't have to parent the way that you've been parent, you, parented. You can make changes. And you can improve uh, in your parenting skills over what your parents did. But God has given you an opportunity to be in a family and be a blessing to that family. Also, families bless each other by giving each other security. In verse 28, Jesus said, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. As far as Jesus is concerned, our relationship with him is permanent. He's not intending to back out. Uh, the only question is whether we're going to be faithful and whether we will maintain our relationship with him. But he intends to complete the transaction and to bring us into the place that he's uh, preparing for us. As a family, our commitment to one another should be one of security. We should be communicating as parents the message to our children, you are my child and I love you and there's nothing that can ever change that. That will not change. I will love you. I will be your father. I will be your mother no matter what. Now that doesn't mean that I'll always approve of what you're doing. It doesn't mean that I will always give my blessing to everything that you're involved in, but even if you take a path that I disapprove of, I will still love you. And it's kind of like when the children of Israel came to Samuel and they said, you know, don't leave us. And he said, well, God forbid that I'd stop praying for you. Uh, and that's our, should be our attitude as parents where our heart of love for our children is, is there's nothing that can change that. And we will pray for our children and we will love them and we will be a, a parent to them no matter what. That, that there's no way out of this family. There's no way that you, can, that you can somehow sever my heart's concern for you as my child. We are a family. We belong to one another. And nothing is ever going to change that. You see, one of the significant things that we gain in life through our experience in a family is that we belong to something. It's part of, uh, of getting an identity. Who are you? Uh, what is your identity? If you were going to tell someone who you are, um, you gain some of that sense of identity through your family that you are a part of. And part of um, what happens in a family is you develop a sense of uh, we and them, or us and them. And... In a family, we have that kind of connectedness with each other where we say, we are a family. We belong to each other. This is how we do things. And you see, as parents, you have, uh, you have a heritage that has been given to you. You, you, didn't, you, are, you didn't grow up in a vacuum. You have a history. There are generations of spiritual heritage behind you. There is a culture behind you. There are things that you have been taught. These are values that we hold. 
These are things that, that we believe. These are things that, that, we, uh, uh, that define us. These are things that are who we are. And there are other people in the world who aren't the same as us. But this is the way we do it. And as a family and as parents, we establish that identity, that sense of what the values and what the, the um, uh, description of that we group is. And what is it that we do? And who, who are we as a family and as a group? And you can't delegate that to the church or to the school. You can't say as a family, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to establish that identity with my children, uh, but I'm going to send them to a Christian school and there they'll learn what they should believe and they'll learn how they should live and, and they'll, uh, they'll kind of figure life out there. Or I'll depend on the church, the youth group should do that and and, you know, if things go wrong with my children, well, it's not my fault. It's the church's fault or it's the school's fault. We are responsible as parents to develop that identity and that sense of this is who we are. And, and for us to inform our children about what has happened before they came on the scene. What is our history as a people? What is the heritage that we have received? How did we get to be here as Anabaptist people in North America? What, what were the things that, that caused our ancestors to leave the Roman Catholic Church and establish the Anabaptist movement, is it, or is it, is, isn't that important? Or is it just something that happened and we're just kind of here and we're going through history and it doesn't really matter? It does matter. It's significant. And for our children to recognize that we're, we're part of, of something that is, that's huge. We're part of something that is important. And we are a significant part of the church of Jesus Christ. And we have an important role to fill. And these are our values that have been passed down to us, and this is how we do things. And yes, everybody else doesn't do it that way, and, and we're not criticizing them, and we're not judging them, but for us, this is how we do it. And I just believe that it's okay for us as a family to say, for us as a family, this is how we do it. We are a family, and this is how we are going to live life, and this is how we are going to do it. Yes, other people may have a different way of doing it, and that's okay. But this is us, and we are a family, and we do things this way, and you are part of this family. We belong to each other, and we're going we're gonna to live life together, and we belong to one another, and we, uh, we care about each other. We have a history. We have an identity, and our children are going to learn that identity. You see, a child who grows up, who never has that sense of belonging, never has that sense of identity, really becomes a person who is... is uh, is rootless and really has no sense of who they are in the world and doesn't know how to function in the world because they don't have any core identity from which to relate to other people. And so we deprive our children of that confidence to live in the larger world with confidence if we don't give them a secure sense of identity and knowing who they are. And so it's a gift that we give to our children to create that, um, that sense of, of, uh, of identity. And we recognize that we as a people... And as a culture, as a subculture in North America, we have some values as a culture that are very important. We have some things that we've been taught as children that are important, and we can pass those things on to our children. And uh, if we are going to uh, survive as, a, as a, a, a group, and if we are going to, to be able to, um, to see the values that, that we've been taught and believe in carry on, we are going to have to transfer those uh, to our children as well. A family blesses each other by having a sense of unity. In verse 30, Jesus says, I and my father are one. That identity, that we, that sense of a we group that we have as a family, 
then gives us that sense of unity, that sense of togetherness, where we stick up for each other, we care for one another, and we belong to one another. We share an identity and a purpose. A family that prays together and worships together can stick together and stick up for one another and can be willing to be uh, identified with each other. Murray Sinclair was an um, Aboriginal judge in um, Manitoba, and he said that there are three basic questions that every person needs to be able to answer in order to be a balanced individual. And he said that many of the young people who come through the court system in Manitoba, many of the Aboriginal young people who come through the court system in Manitoba are not able to give adequate answers to these three questions. The first one is, where did I come from? What happened before I arrived that led me to be here at this time in this place? And that is a, 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 our children are going to learn that through us. We are going to pass on that information to them for them to be able to interact with their grandparents and to, to learn the stories of your family and your family history and things that happened before they came on the scene. Uh, what led to them being here? Uh, what are they part of? Are they part of something bigger than, than what's happening right at the moment? Does, do, what's the history that led up to this, uh, that, to this point? What are the values that have been important in our culture and in our society? What are the things that are going to shape them because you see you have been you have been influenced by decisions that your ancestors made people that you don't even know you don't even know their name but they made choices that have led to you being who you are today there are people 10 generations ago who decided to to leave the Roman Catholic Church and join Anabaptism that that and that decisions had a profound impact on you you may have great-grandparents who made decisions about where they were going to live or what church they were going to be a part of that have really led to you being where you are today and experiencing life the way you are today. You are making decisions that will have an impact on your descendants many generations from now, people who won't even know your name, but you're part of a flow of history. And to be able to know our place in that and to recognize that we are influenced by the things that have gone on before and that some of those things are valuable. And yes, we can look at our culture and we can say there are problems, there are things that ought to change, and there are things that we uh, don't like about our culture perhaps, and we might want to reject some of that. But we can also recognize that some of those things, that even the things that we see as maybe negative things can become, can be turned into a positive thing and can be used for good and for the kingdom of God. A number of years ago, I went to a, um, a meeting that was being held in northwestern Ontario about uh, some people were planning to start a radio station for the northern communities, and, and um, I was invited to the meeting by someone. I went to the meeting, and uh, I was the only person at the meeting who wasn't Baptist, so uh, some of the people there were really concerned about me being there. They weren't quite sure uh, why I was there, and, and they weren't sure if, they, if I should be there, if they really wanted me there. And uh, one of the men that was there was uh, Frank Drown. He uh, was in South America with Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and those five missionaries that were killed back in the, the 50s. And he was part of that team. He was actually, um, he went in with the team that recovered the bodies afterward. If you read the book Gates of Splendor, his pictures in there at, um, at the, the beach there where those uh, five missionaries were killed. And, and he is now in his late 80s, and he spends his summers in northwestern Ontario, and he's done radio things all over the world. And so he was there at that meeting. So, and he was kind of concerned about me. And so we got, uh, at lunchtime, we were in the lunch line together. And so Frank Drown started talking to me, and he was saying, so Merle, uh, what kind of a Mennonite are you? And um, I said, well, I don't know. What do you mean? He said, well, 
there are Mennonites who are so liberal that they think it's all about social justice and they don't really realize that it's, the Christian life is about the new birth. And then there are Mennonites who are so conservative that they don't know what it means to be born again. So I'm wondering just, like, where are you in that whole spectrum? And I said, well, I'm probably like most Mennonites. I think I'm in the perfect center and I'm balanced and, and everybody else is kind of off on the fringes somewhere. But I certainly know that I'm born again and I certainly know what it means to be born again and I know that salvation is by faith in Christ and I'm, I'm, that's, I'm you know, no question about that. And, uh, but I said, you know, for just what part of the Mennonite church I come from, for you, um, you would probably refer to our part of the Mennonite church as the old Mennonite church, uh, not because we're old order, but because we're from the older migration of people, Mennonites who came to North America in the 1700s. And so you would refer to our part of the church as the um, old Mennonite church. And he said, oh, okay, so the Yoders and Millers, and, yeah, that's us. That's, uh, that's where I come from. And he said, oh, they're good people. He said, we had some of them in South America. And he said, they were as stubborn as all get out. But he said, once you got them headed in the right direction, their stubbornness became an asset because they wouldn't give up. And he said, we'd get those people headed in the right direction, and then we'd put them into places where other missionaries had given up, and they wouldn't quit. They'd say, I'm going to do this even if I die trying, and, they would just, and they'd get it done. And so he said, you're good people. You're okay. And so that, that worked out. But you see, some of even parts of our culture that we look at and say, that's kind of bad. But there are ways that that can be used for the kingdom of God. And some of the things that we may look at in our culture, and, and, and then some people look at our culture and they see a few things that, that they're not happy with and they want to throw the whole thing overboard. And they want to just say, well, let's get rid of it all. And there's no value in any of it. Let's just forget it. Let's walk away from that and forget what, I don't know what that was about, just forget it. But really, any culture is in transition and change and, and, and we shouldn't get into a situation where we can say nothing can ever change and it has to be exactly the same from one generation to another and all the details of everything have to be the same and can never change. But neither should we be at the place where we say, let's get rid of it all and, and, and because we are part of a culture and we, we've been raised with cultural values and there is a history there and, and that's been given to us and it's a gift to us. And I just believe that we can use that for the kingdom of God. And as a family, you have an opportunity to raise your children with an appreciation of the values that you've been given and the culture that you're a part of. And you can help them to understand the, the positive parts of that and to sort through. Yeah, maybe there's some things that need to change, but also there's a rich heritage there that can be used for God's kingdom. The second question that Mary Sinclair had is, why am I here? Is there a purpose for my being here? For us to be able to focus on our children and help them to discover God's plan for their life. What does God want to do with them? Why were they born? One of the most significant uh, moments in life is the moment you're born. One of the second most significant moments in life is when you actually discover what you're here for and why, why, what God might want to do with your life. And you, as parents, can give your children some guidance in being able to discover their giftings, be able to discover the, the skills that God has given them, be able to help them to develop in the training and the skills they need to really be productive for the kingdom of God. We live in a time of cultural change. And in many of our communities, in generations past, we were largely an agricultural people and we lived on the land. And we were primarily in agriculture and we lived close together and we shared equipment. We did a lot of things together. The women did quilting and canning and things together. The men shared farm equipment, did harvesting together. And there was a lot of interaction in our communities just in the agricultural lifestyle. And then church was just another part of community life. But the people that were together in church on Sunday morning probably saw each other a number of times throughout the week otherwise as well, and church was just part of community life. 
we've transitioned into the trades and where we work in carpentry and, and, and those kinds of things. And it's been a change in the way we do life. Now, church is not so much an extension of the community. And the challenge for us in doing church is that, one of the challenges is that the people that we're together with in church on Sunday morning, many of them we don't see any other time. That's the only time we see them. And the challenge we have is that two hours together on Sunday morning in church doesn't create community. You don't learn to know each other by sitting in rows and listening to a message or going to Sunday school together. That's not going to create community. And we have to find new ways of creating community. And now our children are going into the professions and they're going into things that require university degrees. And, and, and that's not a bad thing, but we need to think about as a community, how do we make some of those transitions? And how do we retain community? And how do we help our children to live in a world that is very different from the world that we grew up in? And, how, and God may be calling them to a, a professional path that we would have never uh, envisioned following ourselves. But that we're not paranoid about those things, we're not scared of those things, but that we're able to give our children guidance in finding the path that God would have for them and how they can impact the larger world through a profession or in a professional way and that we can be with them in that and that they can find what God might want to do with their lives and at the same time that we're able to connect well as a church community and we're able to retain the community ties that are so important for us to be uh, who God wants us to be as a community. So helping our children discover why they're here. And I just believe that when we find our children doing things that they're good at to compliment them and encourage them and their strengths, uh, sometimes we do a lot of criticism of our children. We find them doing things they ought not to be doing, and we can be critical of them. But do we compliment them on the things that they do well? Uh, my wife is, is an artist, and um, she developed her art ability. I think she has a natural uh, God-given gift in art and a natural interest in art. But when she was a young child, she would draw, and her aunts and uncles would compliment her on her artwork and what she was doing. Well, that encouraged her and she drew all the more and in drawing all the more she got better and she got more compliments on her art and she developed uh, an ability in art and I believe that we can see those things that our children do well and encourage them and help them to find the path that that God has for them and then the third question that Mary Sinclair had was where am I going what happens to me after I die is there an afterlife is there something beyond this or is this all there is and we help our children to, to discover the answer to those questions. The interesting thing is in these three questions, um, Murray Sinclair, I don't know that he's a committed believer, but the gospel of Jesus Christ gives adequate answers to all three of these questions. It tells us, first of all, where we came from, and that we're created in the image and likeness of God, and that God placed us on this earth, and he did it for a reason. There's a purpose for us being alive. And there's a, there's, there is a place that the Lord Jesus is preparing for us. There is a life after this life, and there is meaning in this life because there is an afterlife, and the, the gospel message gives us answers to those questions. One of the things that I think we think about as families and evaluate how are we doing as families, the measure of success for us as families is how well we're doing in raising our children in a way that they will be able to make that decision for themselves about their commitment to Christ and his kingdom and where they have the opportunity to plug into the kingdom of God and what God is doing in the world and that they will be encouraged 
to be productive members of the kingdom of God and that we create an environment where we're not creating hostility in our children, we're not creating animosity in our children, we're guiding them in life in an appropriate way and we're opening the door that they can make a, an informed decision about the Lord Jesus Christ and their commitment to him and they have the opportunity to follow him and they feel successful, they feel safe, protected and cared for. When you think about community, the most vulnerable people in any community are the children. Uh, they are the ones who need the protection and care of the community. A community that doesn't protect and care for its children is damaging its own future and is really killing its own sustainability. Our focus needs to be, as families, as a, a larger community, on the nurture and care of children. And those of us who are parents, if we have uh, had a very long history in parenting, we know there are times when we need help and we're struggling with our children and we need the larger community to help us to encourage our children and to uh, walk with our children. And in one sense, the saying it takes a village to raise a child is not wrong because we need each other as families. There are times when, when we have the children, we have the mothers who are caring for the children, we have the men who are caring for the, the, the fathers who are caring for the mothers and the children, but there are times when we as dads need help from the larger community. And as a church community, as a body of faith, we can rally around and care for one another and help each other. You see, in that time when dad looks pretty stupid and I don't really know why I want to be a part of this family anyway, an older person in the church who comes alongside of a young person at that point and connects with them or who has a connection with them and speaks into their life can be tremendously powerful. And I just encourage you as a church to not only, to not live in isolation as families, but to care for each other's children and as a community to nurture your children in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and to be on the, on the lookout for places where you can plug in to other families and other children, other people's children and where you can be that, um, that person who gives that coaching to someone else's children and helps them through a difficult uh, stage in life. Just like none of us as individuals can live in isolation and be successful. None of us as families can probably do that either. And there are times when we just need other people to help us out. Years ago, there was a mine disaster in southwestern Pennsylvania, and it wound up being called the miracle at Kew Creek. One of the reasons they called it a miracle was because the men who were trapped in the mine, their biggest challenge was uh, that they were a little over waist deep in water that was about uh, just right around 50 degrees Fahrenheit and they recognized that very quickly that hypothermia was going to be their biggest challenge for survival. There were about 15 of them and the miracle is that they all survived and they decided after they were after they were rescued from the mine and were in the hospital they asked the media asked them how did it happen that all everybody survived and they said well we decided very early on that we were, whatever happened to us, it, it was all of us or none of us. We were either all, all gonna survive or we were all gonna die. And so they said, throughout the days that we were trapped in that mine, in that water, we huddled in a group and uh, hypothermia was the biggest problem. They said there were times when uh, a man became so cold that we would put him in the middle of the group and we would all stand around him and we would surround him 
with our own body heat and we would warm him up. And, he's, and they said, we each had our turn inside the circle and we each had our turn on the outside of the circle. And that's a picture, I think, of us as how church functions. There are times when each of us is in the center of the circle and we need the other people and the families around us just to continue to survive. And then there are times when we're on the outside of the circle and we're doing that for someone else. And I just encourage you to, uh, as a church, to do families well and to be on the lookout for places where you can plug in and help those families that are struggling and, um, and be a support to one another as you live life together and you raise another generation for God and for the, the kingdom. And may God bless you as you do that. I'd like, just like to close with a prayer for you as, uh, in your marriages and, and your families. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for marriage. What a gift. It is to uh, be able to uh, have the marriage relationship, to be able to enjoy marriage and to uh, have that as an opportunity. Lord, we're grateful to you for the idea and, and the creation of marriage. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to do marriage well. I pray for the husbands here. Lord, I just pray that you would bless them, help them to be a blessing to their wives, to take the initiative and provide godly leadership uh, in their marriage. Lord, I pray that you would help us to communicate well Help us to care well for one another in our marriages. Lord, I pray too for our families. God, I just pray that you would bless us as, as husbands and fathers and mothers and wives, children. Lord, help us to have family units that are strong, that care for one another, that listen to one another, that give security to each other. Lord, help us to uh, live well in the world in which we live. Lord, I pray that you would help us to use our families to reach out into our communities where there are so many broken families and so much abuse that has happened in families. And I just pray that you would use our families as an example of, um, of what it could be like and what the potential is for family. I pray that you would help us as churches and I pray that you'd help this church to care well for one another as families and that they would be able to um, be a support to one another as, they, as families grow and mature. And I just pray that you would raise up out of these families, men and women of character and integrity, men and women who will be um, outstanding, men and women, uh, giants of the faith, warriors of the kingdom, men and women who will uh, move into the world for your kingdom and accomplish what you want to do in our world today. And I pray that you would bring up out of the children and these families uh, solid, uh, committed leaders for this congregation in the future and that you would bless them as they... Uh, minister together and as they work together in this community. I pray that you'd bless the marriages and families in this church. In Jesus' name, amen.